Have you ever received a text or a phone call um, and it just kind of rocked your world? It's like you got it, you looked at it, or you heard the, the news and your heart just stopped. And you knew in that moment that your world as you knew it was about to change because something out of your control was just about to happen or was happening. I observed this happening a few years ago uh, with Shelly, actually. Uh, we were on staff at a church. Actually, it's the church that Caleb Cole is from, and uh, who spoke last week. And we were um, preparing for a Christmas production, and we thought it would be really a cool idea to do a miniature living nativity, a miniature like with uh, like little animals and a little Mary and Joseph. And of course, a little baby Jesus, but baby Jesus is always little, right? So that didn't really count. But we were thinking, yeah, that would be really cool, but how could we get like little animals here? And then uh, somebody came up with the idea, well, maybe we could invite a petting zoo to come. And we had a tree lot outside the ch- on the church, uh, on the campus grounds. And so, yeah, so like, well, let's reach out, let's find out, let's do some Google search, and let's find out like... Uh, who's got a petting zoo and who might be interested. And lo and behold, we found a petting zoo in Oregon that said, yeah, it's a slow season for our little animals, and so we're like, we'll bring them down to Sacramento. So, yeah, you know, you know Jehovah Jireh, God has provided little lambs, like little, peop- little you know, animals to come. And so uh, they came, they set up right by the, the tree lot, and then we had like 11 performances, and so they would just ride on time. They had a schedule. They would just walk these little animals into the auditorium. And it was just like great. It was a really great thing. And so um, jet forward a year, and it's late November, and I'm in my office, and I get a message from the front desk. And the message is this. The petting zoo has arrived. And I'm thinking, yeah, but we didn't ask them to come this year, who was in charge of the petting zoo? Shelly, my wife. And so I thought, this isn't really my burden. You know, this is maybe Shelly's burden. So I went to her office and I said, hey, you'll never guess who just showed up. And she looks at me very innocently and and she says, I don't know who. I said, the petting zoo. And if you could have seen Shelly's face in that moment, it was like all of a sudden I was like a ghost. And she was just like, like she had seen a ghost. And she's like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I know in that moment, your heart stopped. And the world like stopped in that moment. I won't tell you how it ended up. I will tell you later. (laughs) But it was a moment in time. And today, the story from Genesis, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham has one of these hearts stopping moments that goes way beyond a petting zoo moment. It is the moment of moments when it's like unbelievable the news that he had just received. I'd like for us to look at this from Genesis chapter 22 starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. The word of the Lord. Now up to this point, Abraham's history with God was really remarkable. Very, very positive. I mean, they had to wait 25 years for a son. So there was that lesson in patience. But other than that, it was like God and Abraham, they were good. In fact, some of the lessons that Abraham, Abraham had learned about God was that he was a promise keeper. He actually provided the son of, miraculously when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. He also learned that God was a forgiving God. He had told a white lie about Sarah not being his wife just to protect her. He thought he was doing the right thing, but God forgave him and they moved on. Aren't you glad God forgives us and we move on? He also had discovered that God was a rescuing God. There had been a little tussle with uh, another a group of people in Abraham's tribe. And uh, the Lord gave them victory. Uh, and it, it, it ended well. And so God had rescued Abraham. Also, we have a glimpse of kind of the state of mind with regard to God that Abraham was in. Uh, right before chapter 22. In fact, as tw chapter 21 is ending, we see this in, in verse 33. Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. The Hebrew for that, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, there are various names for God. One God, triune God, but one God, three persons, but there are various names for God in the Hebrew that describe certain characteristics or attributes of God. We're familiar with like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. And so here, what Abraham has just been dwelling on and calling on the name of El Olam, which means the eternal, enduring, everlasting God. And so he has this picture of who God is. God has won Abraham's heart. And so he's praising God, and why wouldn't he? And I just want to, kind of on a sidebar, think of the contrast, the parallel, between the life of an early Christ follower. Very similar to what Abraham has experienced up to this point. A person that comes to Jesus, surrenders their life to him, first of all, they have the promise of new life. Secondly, they have forgiveness of sin. They understand God is a forgiving God. They have been rescued from shame and death. And they have been given eternal life from the everlasting God. So there's a lot of, sometimes we can look at these stories in the Old Testament and just read them like they are a story, but don't really understand maybe that, hey, there's a lot that maybe I have in common with, uh, with where Abraham is at this point, especially like a new Christian. 
And so, again, it's all good. And then Abraham's petting zoo moment arrives, only worse. And I'm sure he had to think, say what? Like, you want me to do what? You want me to actually kill my son, the son that we waited 25 years for, the son of promise? I'm sure all of this is going through his mind. Now back to Genesis 22, verse 1, when this story starts. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, there's also a name for God here in the Hebrew. It's not El Olam, the eternal God, but it's a very unique name for God in the Hebrew. It's actually a kind of convergence of two names, and it's in the plural, and it simply means the God with another Hebrew word, Elohim. And you'll say, okay, what does that have to do with it? Well, what that means is this is the God who tests his people. And it's only used twice in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And there's, there's multiple references for other names of God, but it's very rare that you see this particular name for God. The other time in the Pentateuch is in Exodus 20, 20. When Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, God, the God who tests you, has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So it's one of those things that it's, it's, it's we like to tell all the people about, yeah, the Lord will provide for you, the Lord will give you peace, the Lord will be your strength, etc., etc., but we, we don't, it's not a great selling point when we're sharing our faith. Yeah. And, and God will test you, so come to him and follow Jesus. And you'll get, you know, we don't talk about that much, but this is a reality of the life of faith. And so, what is Abraham's response? First of all, I think it's helpful to understand the culture of the day. Now, the culture of the day uh, in the ancient world that Abraham lived in was that it was uh, very much um, understood that the God of fertility, which is L, E-L, the God of fertility is also entitled to demand a portion of what has been provided. That could be an animal. That could be grain from a harvest. Uh, that could also uh, be a child that the God of fertility was, was welcome to take that as a sacrifice. And so that could, we don't know for sure, but that could have played into Abraham's mind because he's still discovering God. And we are still discovering God, aren't we? If you have God figured out totally, I'd like to talk with you after. I'll buy you dinner tomorrow or whatever if you've got God. But this is a, it's an ongoing revelation for Abraham. And so he could be thinking, oh, okay, so this God is going to demand my child because he was able to make Sarah fertile. He could have thought that. We don't know. But it's quite possible. Here's what we do know about what Abraham did and didn't do. First of all, he immediately obeys with no record of dissent. Now, he could have checked out at that moment, right? He said, oh, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out of this, God. Uh, I'm not going to do this. And he could have just said, no way, I'm out. I would have thought that if it was 
I mean, we have three daughters if, if this was me. But he doesn't do that. The next morning, he packs up and leaves and starts the three-day journey. Also, and I think this is very important, he doesn't add to the drama. On that three-day journey, I'm sure there's a lot going through his mind, but there's no report of the reaction of Abraham's wife. There's no description of Abraham's feelings. Oh, how easily we can be guided by our feelings. It kind of like our feelings take us by the nose and just kind of lead us around because we can be emotional and let our feelings rule what we, and actually take control over what we think. But there's no, there's no picture of that. Sometimes we can, in the drama, we can talk things to make them even more dramatic and more, you know, more emotional and more stressful. But there's, a, there's like a governor over Abraham's mouth, it seems like. He's not over-dramatizing this, if that's, I think that's the word, but he's not, he's not just sharing this news with a bunch of people. There's just no record of that. It's, my takeaway from that is it's, it's good when we get that heart-stopping thing to, to be careful about not adding to the stress or the drama of the moment. And so it's be, to be careful who we talk to. I think it is scriptural to actually um, have, there's wisdom in the counsel of advisors, and it's good to have counsel from godly people. And it's also great to pray. So those are the kind of, you know, verbal, verbalizing that we need, but just to unpack our situation with every, you know, I guess, I'm sorry to say Tom, Dick, and Harry, but Sally and Sarah and all of the, you know, would be gender neutral there. But I think it's, it's important that we, we really guard our, our heart and guard our mouth so we don't exponentially raise the level of drama. No evidence of this with Abraham. And then we see ultimately he trusts God. You know, trusting and obeying are like chocolate and peanut butter. It's like Reese's peanut butter cup. Trusting and obeying just go together so beautifully. And this is what we see. And there's evidence of his trust. We have this window um, into, in two verses about the degree that God, uh, or that um, Abraham is trusting God. First of all, in verse 5 of chapter 22, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I've always found that very curious. He knows the assignment is to go lay his son on the altar to sacrifice his son. But some, he's, he's just going to the brink of faith here. He's, he's, he says, somehow, some way, we're going to come back. So there's evidence of trust there. And then three verses later, when young Isaac asked his dad, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham is living life right to the edge in terms of his faith. Trusting that God will provide. But as I was studying this, there's still more questions that, to me, that are worth considering. First of all, what's the point of all of this? Have you ever wondered that, those of you that have looked at this story? What's the point? We can ask that in things that we face, like why? 
What's the point of what I'm going through? I don't see any benefit in what I am facing right now. Why would God do this to Abraham? Why would God allow me or you to face certain tests that are unimaginable? I think the first thing that Abraham could have thought after, maybe after a season, after the initial shock, is what did I do to deserve this? Has anybody ever thought that? Like, what did I do to God? Did I really upset God? Did I make God angry? Did I tick him off? And now this is what's dumped in my lap. What have I done? I think that's unnatural. I've thought that before. And I start doing a little inventory, a, a check of, you know, what I've been doing and what I've been thinking about and just, you know, is it me? And Abraham could have certainly said this and thought that. The fact is, Abraham was an all-star spiritually. Other than saying that little white lie to protect his wife, there's no record of wrong with Abraham. There's another man in Scripture who was severely tested, a man by the name of Job. And he had a similar resume as Abraham. Job 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now, two different testings that went on there. One was initiated. Job's testing was initiated actually by Satan, who uh, was just licking his chops to, uh, to really just test kind of a prize um, follower of God. And, and the Father permitted that. God the Father permitted that. This is different, but again, to know these guys didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they were all-stars like Tom Brady and Julian Edelman of the Old Testament. That's how much of an all-star they were. You see, such spiritual testing is like testing for gifted or accelerated programs in school. Such testing is actually a compliment. It's a privilege. And you might sit there and think, I'll, I'll just pass on the compliment, thank you. I'll pass on the privilege. Perhaps it's helpful to understand the deeper purpose then of God testing us. And this is revealed in not only this story, but it's revealed in Exodus 20, 20. Remember that other reference for the name of God, that he's the God who tests his people. Moses clearly states that the testing is, quote, so the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. What is sinning? It's missing the mark. It's making decisions, making choices that heap shame upon us. Circumstances and consequences that are a result of us missing the mark that God has set for us. That is worthwhile to consider if we go through a season of testing to bring our fear of God to a place that is greater so it would keep us from doing something that would be harmful to us, to our spirit, and to the, the many different kinds of consequences that accompany sin. The fear of the Lord is a good thing, and we don't hear much about it today. We hear a lot about, you know, Papa God and Father God and grace, but not a whole lot about fearing God. But he is the God of the universe. He's the God of creation. He's the, he's the one that has no beginning, no end, the one that we cannot fathom. And he is worth 
having a holy fear and respect of. I love worship because it places his presence right here and it's hard to to sin when you're in the presence of God because you're thinking just about how warm the presence is and, and the joy and the peace. Well, the rest of the story, Abraham takes it right up to the edge and then he is told that uh, actually God will provide the lamb and there's a lamb that's that's in the thicket and then he goes and gets the lamb and the Lord says that he would provide the lamb just like Abraham had faith that he would. And then really the story kind of ends. But after Abraham goes through the ordeal, the angel of the Lord came and said this, Now I know that you fear God. And then, verses 17 and 18, I will surely bless you because you have obeyed me. So the purpose of God testing us, the reason that we can, in faith, take things to the brink in terms of what God is testing us and we can go to the next step and the next step and the next step knowing that God is doing something supernatural in this situation is first of all because obedience demonstrates our fear of God. Demonstrates our fear of God that we do reverence Him. That we do place God above all things and beings and that He has our heart and that there is that ultimate respect and fear of him. Also, obedience demonstrates our trust in God. Trust has a lot to do with confidence. I think, I think we can really just look at our life and say, what do we have confidence in? Is it in our degree? Is it in our bank account? What do we have? Is it in my charming personality, my good looks or whatever? What do we have confidence in ultimately? And I think that has to do with trust. And I really feel that it's, it's what the Lord would have us understand tonight is that he wants us to trust him. Not only fear him. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God that that's all there is? Just fear, 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 fear. No, he, he is this. We go back to the Father God now. He wants us to be able to implicitly trust him in all situations, in all circumstances. And this fall, I've spent a good amount of time with a number of you, and I think almost all of you are going through some deep waters. And I believe what God wants you to know tonight is that you can trust him and that he is preparing you for a new season, a new chapter. And I think what God does, and this is, I think, Probably the next point here is obedience positions us for God's future for us. I think what God is saying, he's saying in this testing, as you come out of it, we're going to see if, if I can trust you with what I want to do in your life. Whether he might want to give you a promotion or give you a new job and you're going to make a lot, of more, lot more money. And he wants to know, does he have your heart? So what would you do with that? Could that be a downfall? We've seen many people that they can't handle having money. They make decisions and and it ends up bringing their life down. I saw a statistic years ago that like 90% of the richest people in the world are very, very unhappy 
because they've got all the, all the toys, all the, the bells and whistles, and, and it didn't provide peace to them. And some people can't handle wealth. Other people look at wealth as like, what can I do to be a blessing to the world, to be a blessing to the community, to the kingdom of God? And so we go through seasons of testing. It could be vocational. It could be a test of our call. Some of you students, you want to be a pastor someday, you may go through testing in your college experience, and the, it's like a refiner's fire. And as you come out of that, the Lord says, yes, I can entrust you with a pastorate. And whatever it is, we all have different lanes that we're traveling in and different callings in our life. And so don't underestimate the power of the test that God can put us through. Because he wants to be able to entrust you and me with the future that he has for us. Well, the application, first of all, I just want to say, Shelley's heart-stopping moment worked out just fine, just like Abraham's did. Uh, the petting zoo stayed. No, we did not rewrite our Christmas musical to include little animals. But they were quite happy just to be out uh, by the tree lot, and we had a school there, and the little, and the, the classes just would have their scheduled time. The second, first graders would go out and pet the little animals, all were fine. Shelly was quite relieved when all of that worked out. We didn't send them packing back to Oregon, uh, but they didn't show up the next year for some reason. I'm not sure why. <clears throat> well, I just want to leave you with this, you know, I think God is saying to all of us, can I entrust them with what I want to do through them? Can they handle the blessing I want to give them? Now it goes on, Abraham, the promise did come. He is the father of the Jewish people that have populated the earth. And the promises of God for Abraham have been fulfilled. Because he went through that unbelievable test. And I'm so excited as your pastor to see how some of you going through testing right now are going to come out on the other side. And the door of God's promise is going to swing wide open. You're not always going to go through the test. Abraham did not go through this test for years Sometimes the seasons are longer than we would like. I understand that. I've been there. I understand that. And I'll be there again. And I hope my words boomerang back to me when I'm in that place. And so realize it's for a season. And just keep taking your faith to the edge, to the brink. Because God has something amazing for you. I truly, truly believe it. Could we stand and let's pray.